Jesus is coming. Try and look busy. The car in the Ingalls parking lot that had this bumper sticker was a real clunker. Dented, dirty, and fixed with duct tape in a way that showed expedience over any overall sense of an aesthetic. And I was generally amused that the owner of this car must have really thought the sentiment was funny in order to pay for it to be on her car to tell the world. Because A, it meant she was not really worried if and when Jesus returned, or B, she thought acting busy would put one past the Almighty. So of course, me being me, all the time, I had to see who owned that car. So I slumped down in my car seat and waited. The woman who finally emerged from the store was probably in her late 50s, and her hair was dyed a fantastic shade of red, and her face seemed almost permanently bemused. And she was dressed haphazardly in a way that suggested that dressing just happened according to what she could first pick up off the floor. And then she spied me and looked over at me and glared. And I suddenly realized that waiting in a car to spy on someone could be construed as a little bit creepy. <laughs> So embarrassed, I got out of my car and tried to give her my most benevolent smile. She frowned back at me, quickly got in her car, and screeched out of the parking lot. So I suppose she had somewhere where she was going to be busy, or maybe just wanted to get away from the creepy guy in the Ingalls parking lot. However, I thought of her one read the gospel for this Sunday. Jesus coming in glory to judge the world, separating sheeps and goats, righteous and the unrighteous. And I wondered, I had to think about this. How much time do I spend just looking busy? Today we celebrate Christ the King and the beginning of Advent with reading after reading about the coming apocalypse and judgment. And as Episcopalians, what do we do with this type of scripture? Do we rationalize them metaphorically? Or we just trust that by simply looking busy and going about the Christian path will be enough that we'll be all right? Because, my brothers and sisters, I have to warn you, Jesus is coming. We have to ask ourselves, how are we going to be different this year, this time? So I'm going to do something that Episcopal preachers don't often do. I'm going to talk about judgment. And that's a scary word, right? Because it often brings to mind sweaty preachers exhorting followers to get right with the Lord or, you know what, 
the outer darkness, gnashing of teeth, eternal fire. So first I want to set this clear right now. Judgment is really only in the job description of our Creator. Not in clergy, not in priests, not in bishops, and good Lord, not in politicians. Only God alone judges people. And second, I think too often we run from words like judgment because we don't want to be those type people, the ones that are always looking down on everyone else. We Episcopalians want to be the good Christians, the loving ones, the accepting ones, the Mr. Rogers type Christians. And third, this gospel illustrates that no one, no one knows if we're doing the right or wrong thing. Because in the gospel, both the righteous and unrighteous both ask, when do we see you poor, sick, naked, or in prison? Because no one, no one knows if and when we are serving Christ in our midst. And I warn you today, if people are trying to sell you the certainty of salvation, you might want to run the other way. All that being said, the concept of final judgment is actually a useful thing to consider. Useful because it reminds each believer about the importance of priorities. So this is not an exhaustive list, but I'm fairly certain that God does not care what type clothes you wear or what type car you drive, nor how clean your house is. God doesn't care about how many friends you have on Facebook. God doesn't care about your bank account or how well you cook. God does not care about keeping up with appearances or using duct tape to fix your car. What God does care about is how you treat others, especially the most destitute. As theologian Gustavo Gutierrez famously pointed out, God has a preferential option for the poor. And judgment falls along these lines. And it's important to remember this time of year, on the Sunday we celebrate Christ the King, because the entire Christian story is actually one of subversion, of the normal ways we think of power and might and wealth. Because our king conquers through humility, meekness, kindness, and through service. He conquers through love, not power or braggadocious slams. Now think about all the problems we face in our world today. And I'm sure it's really easy, for me at least, to want some sort of king figure to come in and fix all my problems, all my grievances, all the things that I see that are wrong. But the king our God sends is actually an infant, a tiny baby, helpless in all ways, except for the ability to draw out the most noble of human characteristics, and that is a love for the helpless. So God is coming. Look busy, but only if it is look busy by reaching out to the most vulnerable in our midst. Look busy by nurturing the poor, 
the wretched of the earth. Look busy about caring for the least of these, and therefore tending to Christ in our midst. So, I spoke with my good friend Brian Cole earlier this week, and he reminded me of a very simple truth. He said, always quote someone else in your sermon so they at least hear one good thing. So I want to read to you a poem by T.S. Eliot that I think is perfect for the season of Advent. I read it each year as a discipline. It goes, I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope. For hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love. For love would be love of the wrong thing. There is yet faith. The faith and the love and the hope are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light, and the stillness the dancing. Jesus is coming. Get busy. The kingdom of God depends on it. Amen.